Praise God. Would you turn in your Bible to the book of Numbers 21? I almost preached about Quirinius uh, of Syria today, but I, I thought I would bypass that. Numbers 21. Um, I, and I, honestly, it's Christmas weekend, uh, and uh, I was rather amazed by the fact that I felt that this was what the Lord was directing us to share. In fact, I, I kept thinking, oh, Lord, you know, yeah, you're, you're showing me this just so I can study it a little bit more. And, um, but he, he just kept um, urging me that this was, um, this was what we were supposed to be sharing today. And, and in a way, what we're going to look at is truly a prophetic word for where we're going in this new year in a way that I had never realized before. And secondly, it, it answers for me a question that I've always had about what God did with Moses in a way that we'll talk about, but it, it really does give an answer for some things that were, I won't say I was troubled by them, but... Um, I, I really did not understand um, completely why God did what he did with Moses. So we're in Numbers chapter 21, and um, we will start reading at verse 16, and we'll read um, 16 through 18. I think that's what I ask you to do, Scott. Yeah, I think, look at that. So here we go. And from thence... They went to beer. <laughs> True Texans. That is the well whereof the Lord spoke unto Moses. <clears throat> Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Now, the first thing we want to talk about there is, you look at all your handy-dandy concordances, and you're going to find that nobody really knows where this happened. Where in the world did God speak to Moses about this? Because it doesn't specifically say it, and we're going to... I, we're going to put forward where I think it happened. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. The princes digged the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves, and from the wilderness they went to Matanah. So that seems like a really odd Christmas message. May God bless it. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you later. But I, I do believe that this is a word on this last Sunday of the year that we need to hear. Um, the first, there are a lot of things we need to look at here as we, as we grasp what the Spirit is saying. The first is this word, beer, B-E-E-R. And there, there are a couple of different types of water sources that the people encountered, um, other than rivers and other than you know, streams, and there were two types of wells. One of them was one that just, uh, like an artesian spring, it would just come up out of the ground. And that's, that's always a neat thing to find if you're out in, in the wilderness or you're walking. You see that pure water coming out. It's really a refreshing thing to drink. But the other one is this word beer, which means that you've had to dig into the ground to access a source of water. 
And it, it could be just the old-timey, okay, I'm going to go, go down 200 feet, dig us a well. But usually this was the uncovering of something that was under the surface that was not apparent just with the visible eye. But you had to dig a little bit to, to get that revealed. And then the source of, of water would, would then be easily accessible. And so you see this term like Beersheba, uh, a lot of different um, derivations um, of this term with another location in the Old Testament. And it basically meant that these people were able to discover a source of water, and so they built a settlement around it. So they would say, like, for instance, Beersheba, um, we uncovered water here, and it's a good source, kind of like down in East Texas, and, you know, so we're going to build a settlement around it because water is scarce in these parts. So when they, when they came to beer here in verse 16, and well is the same word, um, the Lord, it says that the Lord had spoken to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Now, what was he talking about here? And, and then it comes in to the next two verses where Israel is supposed to sing this song, spring up a well, and then it says sing unto it, and there it's not the same word as sing. There it doesn't really mean a song or anything to do with music. It had to do with, now it could be sung, but that second issuance where you're singing unto it means that you declare or you make a proclamation or you release some kind of a statement that would then be an authority to make something happen. I think that's very interesting. And then it says, the princes dig the well, and then the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver. So there's three specific dimensions of authority there with their staves. So what does this all mean? Well, to me, and I, I believe that this is absolutely what this meant, that if you go back a couple of chapters in the book of Numbers, you come to the really unsettling scenario where God said, Moses, you bring the people here, and I want you to speak to this rock that water might be released to them because they're, grump they're grumbling and they're complaining but uh, this is the way I want you to speak to the rock. And then, of course, you know that Moses took the rod and he whacked the rock a couple of, it says twice. But if you, if you look at what that word means, it doesn't just mean two times. It means something that was uh, a repetitive thing until you came to whatever solution you wanted. That word was used to describe an anvil for people who worked with metals. That word twice was used to describe the, the beating of the heart. It was used to describe something that was going to be put into motion until you came uh, about with, with what you were trying to achieve. So it could be that Moses just hit it twice, but it could be more likely that he was using that rod to, um, to, to jostle that rock and to unveil this, this, the water. And, and God then says to him, 
because you believed me not. You can look at it just a couple chapters earlier. Because you, Amon, you did not do what I directed you at the right hand to sanctify me or to bring about my way of holiness among the people. You're not going into the land. So what does all that mean? Well, let's talk about it. How does this connect with where they are at beer? Uh, how does this connect? Well, I think it's very, it's very clear, and I do think that it has prophetic meaning for where we're going. I think that God said to Moses at the right hand, this is what I want you to do. The people are going to be going into their tribal inheritances. They're going to be going into places where they're going to have to believe me, and they're going to have to begin to exercise some kind of commune with me and some kind of um, way that I can relate to them, to where I can work miracles through them, to where I can uncover sources of water for them. You're, you're not going to be there for them in every place where their tribal allotments are going to be. And secondly, you're not going to live forever. They, they should be covenant partners with me in the new land. So what I'm wanting you to do is I'm wanting you to do a twofold thing. I'm wanting you to speak to this rock as opposed to what you did before where you smote the rock and the waters came out. Uh, that progression, you had to first do the uh, in obedience. You had to, to, to demonstrate authority yourself so that the people could be blessed. You had to pattern this so that the people can be blessed. But now... I want you to speak something forward. And, and again, this wasn't just prophesy and it'll be. Because, you know, we often take that as the power of prophecy, and prophecy is powerful. But it was, it was really the progression of the lawgiver, you can read it there, and the princes and the nobles. It was, it was finding out what God was saying from his throne through the recognized source of covering authority. And then the next level of authority would take that, would take that measure of, of, of authority granted to them and the nobles under them would take that measures of authority under them. And through that progression of displayed authority and obedience, I'm going to provide not only water, but whatever resources miraculously should be there. Like, spring up, oh well. You know, we used to sing that song, spring up, oh well, within my soul. And we'd sing that. Well, this is the only place in Scripture where it says spring up. But that word is, is, a, is an etymological derivative of Allah, where that, that rise up, that, that come up that taking authority in the high places of something that is deposited there. So the, the spring up here is, is speaking into a resource that God has ordained, that God has directed you to, and then all the authority structure is in alignment, and they have to apply their authority. They have to speak forward what, what God has promised and what they're all believing for, and through that combination of speaking what God has revealed and their, their authority and their strength and whatever prophetically he tells them to do, through that then resources are going to come. This is what God was trying to establish 
when Moses was told to speak to the rock. There were probably other things that Moses was supposed to say to them. This stuff right here, Moses was probably supposed to say to them at that rock. And this is why, you know, if these nobles and the princes were supposed to take their staves and dig this, that's probably why Moses just skipped the middleman and he looked out over those people and he was frustrated with them and he had it with them. And he, instead of just saying what God had told him to say about their going into the land and what they were supposed to be doing, he just took the, the rod and whacked it a little bit and um, the, whack, the, uh, the, the rock and water came. He bypassed the pattern of holiness, the sanctifying God and his plan among the people. And this is what God reproved him for. It's interesting to me. So when it says here, that when we just read it, that um, this place that God spoke unto Moses about, you can look till you're blue in the face to find a specific thing that says where God told him this, and you're not going to find it. I put forward that just a couple chapters earlier, this was what God was telling him at the right hand. And the voice of the lawgiver to that rock was really a commissioning for them then. I think, I don't, I wasn't there, but in light of, and they even got a song about it. You know, they, they all know by the time they get to this 21st chapter, this is what they're going to have to do when they go in the land. I'm wondering whether God said, you speak to the rock, and then you have these princes come up, and you have them smite this rock. You have them with their authority. You touch that rock in obedience with what you're commanding. But through their authority from me, through the lawgiver, water will come. That didn't happen, but it does happen here. They've already got a song about it. So look at this. Israel sang, spring up, O well. And then it says, sing unto it. Israel sings, we're going to tap into the resource and see something effuse out that's going to be a blessing, whether it's water or whatever it is. And then the next word is, you declare unto it. You speak specifically what God has revealed, and then princes and nobles, you take your staves, your sign of, of divested authority, and you dig this until it begins to spring forth. Isn't that interesting? That's what God was wanting to do from his right hand in, in sanctifying himself to the people. Because, you know, if every time they needed water or whatever resources were, you know, Israel isn't a big country, but it, back then it took, it took a while to get from one tribal inheritance to another. If they were just going to have to keep asking Moses to come in the midst of their battles, uh, to, hey, we're out of water. Uh, you know, he could have been Moses plumbing, Moses and sons, you know, and off they go. But they needed to begin to recognize the authority from this progression, the lawgiver, whatever God has said in his chain of authority, through the princes, to the nobles, and those staves digging that water up. Uh, I, I just think this is a very, very interesting thing. So you have, you have a lot of deep spiritual principles here. Um, God had directed them to this place, this source that they had to dig to find. 
God had directed Moses and told him about what he wanted to do there, or, or, or perhaps what he wanted to do in general. And uh, let the people gather and come into an alignment. Let them come into, into a harmony, and I will provide what they need. I will give them water. And then this song, and then the declaration to that source, and then the princes, the nobles, under the direction of the lawgiver with their staves, and there you have the resource. I think this is a very interesting thing. And I feel badly, I've always felt badly for Moses because of all the, all the stuff he went through um, over those many, many years, and God was always faithful. But even, even after, you can read this, even after Moses smote the rock and God says, you're not going over, and the people had water and their beasts had water, those people were still gripers. I mean, you read about it. I mean, the next thing they do, uh, they, they have to fight against one group of people and then they bypass another group of people, but they start with the same belly aching. Why have you let us out here in the wilderness to die? You know, we're just, uh, we're tired of this light bread and, you know, it, we would have been better off where we are. This second generation is saying the same nonsense that their parents had said. And God sent snakes to bite them. And people were dying. And they all come to Moses and they said, we're sorry we spoke against God and against you. And then Moses made that brass serpent on a pole, which is now the symbol of medicine around the world. And they said, whoever looks on this, this uh, brazen serpent after they've been bitten will be healed. This, th these people were still doing this stuff. And I always felt bad about Moses. I mean, he's looking out over those folks and he's thinking, what is wrong with you people? But the, the point was that God was going to use them anyway. Not good. I'm so glad that as many times as I've screwed up in my life, God has still said, I'm going to use you anyway. Aren't you glad about your life? I mean, we look over things that, that um, maybe we should have done differently. Maybe we shouldn't have done this. Maybe we should have done that. And God's there, and he loves you, and he, um, he's, he's going to make you obey. He's going to make you do what you're supposed to do, but he's still going to continue because gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He's going to continue to insist upon you fulfilling what you're supposed to be doing. So God looked out over the people, and he recognized, look, they've wandered around. You know, they're, they're, they're 40 years have come and gone. It's time for them now to go through the, the, the valley of the ites, and they're going to have to come into the land. So Moses, you know, you, you're going to have to start allowing them to begin to tap into the land where they have been promised, their land of promise. They're going to have to know how to access this, first of all, what I say to them and apply their authority and their declaration so that they can ask, access the resources that are there for them. Because if they don't know how to do it, you've really not accomplished much. If, if the people in the lands just have to wait for you to come, then forget about it. 
you've not accomplished anything. If you're not making disciples and raising up sons, then why are you going? And I've struggled with individuals over the years, and you have too. I'm not going to name names. But, you know, sometimes people are in leadership, and they're real stingy with letting somebody else under them really hear from God. And it's a day, we've talked about that when we started teaching about prophecy, why so many uh, general church churches don't want people prophesying or moving in things of the Spirit, because once people, once, once the anointing starts to flow, then you set this process of the anointing triggering purpose, and right there in a person's purpose is a lot of iniquity that has to continually be refined before the Lord, and sometimes in the anointing, people's iniquities kind of take over, and then they do what so many did to Moses. We hear from God just as you do, Moses. Who do you think you are? So I understand the reticence to, to, give, to, to, to give that kind of spiritual instruction where people can, can really start taking authority before the Lord uh, on their own, but that's what God's plan is. And you, you have to obey. If, if for no other reason, you have to do what you're called to do. And what anybody else in the flow chain does, that's up to them and the Lord. But you have to do it. Moses, the lawgiver, had to be the one who initiated this point of, 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 uh, of release. And he was to prophesy. What was that prophecy? I don't think it was just, yea, hear unto me, water come forth. I don't think that's what it was. I think he was supposed to detail this thing right here, that in the, in the interval, somehow, somehow, they've had a discussion. Somehow, they've even written a song. Somehow, they know that they're supposed to go to the place where God has a resource. They're supposed to... to go there in rejoicing, but they're supposed to speak into this specific things that God has ordained. The leadership under that directive needs to be in alignment and agreement with their staves. They're supposed to go and apply that obedience with their staves, and the resource will open. Somehow between that rock and these couple of chapters later, they came up with this whole idea. Now, it's not like we don't read here that Moses stood before the people at beer and he said, thus saith me from the Lord. He doesn't say that. Moses is not, he's not saying turn to him number five. They just, Israel starts to sing this song. Spring up a well and then they declare to it. And then part of that declaration, again, again, the princes and the nobles Two specific alignments of the, of the flow chain of authority under the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. This was a learning thing. God had ordained it. God had spoken to Moses about this, even though we don't see it written anywhere, but maybe we do see it written. I believe we do see it written. And that was the whole issue of sanctifying me in front of the people. Because God was releasing the way of holiness to these people, and Moses did not do it at the rock. God said he didn't do it. 
God said, I told you this at the right hand. You didn't release what I told you to release to these people. It wasn't just speaking to the rock. It was speaking to the people. And I believe that these people were supposed to have come up. Those leaders, when Moses spoke, they should have come up right then with their staves and in some way, I don't know what they would have been directed by God to do, touch that source of water and for them to see it. You know, you learn a whole lot by you doing things, don't you? You know, it's one thing for me to get up here and say, okay, this is what we're doing. But when you do it and you see God really came through, you've learned that lesson. And not only have you learned the lesson, but you've begun to function in the authority and the identity that God created you to do. So I think that the second time at the rock was for these folks to come up with their staves. But when Moses saw them, I mean, these folks with these staves <laughs> weren't all the ones with staves. Some of them had been killed by snakes just a chapter before because they were griping and complaining. The very thing that Moses said, why are you still, you rebels? God sent snakes to punish them for doing it just right after that. So it wasn't that God was ticked because Moses was calling a spade a spade. It was that he didn't put forth this whole progression that we read today. Does that make sense? Otherwise, this little three verses that we read don't make a whole lot of sense. And it leaves you scratching your head and you think, well, where is this? It says this was here. I don't see it anywhere. Uh, there must be a confusion in the Word of God. See, that's why you can't trust the Scripture. No, it's right here. You just have to let the Spirit breathe the, the meaning of it. So what does this mean for us as we're going forward in this year of the saints as God is bringing breakthrough and we're, going, we're emerging from this long period of uh, preparation for, for the nations? I think that what God's saying to us is, and, and these points that we've all read here are pneumaticos principles. <laughs> we've seen them. We've taught them. We've developed them. But I believe that it's now time for us to recognize, first of all, the nations are opening up. And we've, we've been to all these nations, but there are those nations and more that are really calling for us to go and for us to fulfill that disciple-making, son-making uh, directive that God has given us. And so we have to recognize as well if this, if this pandemic has taught us anything that no matter how many trips and how many conventions and how many places we have planned to go to, that can be stopped like that. And you're not going to be able to travel. We've seen that, haven't we? And so what we've got to do is recognize that for uh, the light, while we have the light, we've got to go and we've got to impart this and say to people in uh, Poland and in uh, Germany and in Brazil and in India. Now, pray for those folks in India. I, I've been praying for Ratna and for all of those hundreds of pastors that we were privileged to be able to teach for a couple of years. I mean, the heightened anti-Christian rhetoric in India is really at a, at a razor's edge now. There are, there are so many churches that are being just 
not only burned, but their services are being uh, attacked while they're in service by people that are either Hindu um, radicals or uh, Muslim radicals, and the government is passing a lot of uh, new laws that are, uh, that are even tightening the grip on, um, on, on the ability of people to convert to Christianity. It used to be that it was illegal for somebody to try to evangelize. Now they're trying to pass laws on those who actually go through the process and say, I want to convert. And anybody converts, it's going to cost them, themselves. So we need to pray for India. But we had free reign to go in there until the government stopped giving us visas and we could not go. And so we, uh, we recognize that the time is short. And when we go forth, we've got to be able to say, here are the principles of the Lord. You, you've got to take authority in your land. Here's how you do it. You've got to spend time before him at the right hand. You've got to glean what he's saying. You've got to be obedient to do what he says and not to do things that he hasn't said. And God will be faithful to cause those resources to come up. See, one of the things we faced as Americans, or anyone from the West, is in a lot of countries we go to, there's already a stigma there that if anybody comes from the United States, no matter what, whether white, black, tan, whatever color, that there's money. And so we've got to go along to get along. And um, so um, if, if we just receive the message, then we can give them whatever needs we have, and they'll pour money in here. And we've had to face that in a lot of different places. Not all, but in a lot of places. And, and you often wonder, um, look, do you realize that silver and gold we're not bringing to you, even though we're, we're sowing into you? But such as we have, we give you. This is the answer right here. All the resources they need, all the supply they need, whether it's water, and in, in the wilderness, water is the most important thing. You know, if you have a bag of gold or a drink of water and you're dying of thirst, you want the water. But it could be anything. It could be any deposit in their hysteme that is needed. They need to know this principle because this is the principle for drawing forth from whatever hysteme God directs them to in his timing. Through his directive, through the authority he's given them, this is the key to indigenous leaders. And so I speak this forward into this year of the saints, that there will be a heightened measure of our being able to say to these sons, you are called of God. You have been planted in this place by the Father. You've been given the authority of the cross that purchases all these resources. And you need to know how to hear from him, the Amman, and you need to know how to display this measure of saintly walk, this measure of sanctification. And here's how you do it. Here are the directives that God has given from his word, not from Rome or not from here particularly, but through here from his word. You apply these scriptures. You come, hear from God. You 
bring that point of direction and the authority he has given you. And if you're in accord, if you're in agreement, God will provide everything you need. And not only that, you will rise up. Something will spring up. Spiritual resources will spring up. Deposits of the glory will spring up. And you will not lack in the place God has called you. That's what Moses was supposed to have done at that rock the second time. And again, I'm cutting him some slack here because, again, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not questioning what God did. But this thing was so important for God. And, you know, what Moses said about those people was right. <laughs> it was right. If you doubt that, just look what God did to them in the next chapter. The very thing Moses said, God came down on these people for in a big way. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, these poisonous snakes are everywhere, and they're biting and killing people. And, and you know, you got Uncle Joe, he's keeled over. You got this kid, he's keeled over. This is bad stuff, and God is the one that's done it. Wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't that be awful? And they come, they come a-running to Moses. Oh, Moses, we're sorry we spoke against God and against you. Please have him get rid of these snakes. Well, God didn't. That's not what God said. He didn't get rid of the snakes. He caused them, if they got bit, to look to that thing that really typifies the cross. And uh, if, whoever looked on it will be saved from the bite. <laughs> I guess they had to go out and kill the snakes themselves and recognize that God was going to deliver them if they got bit. I imagine that's what it was. Now, later on, you know, the people, being people, they kept this goofy, brazen snake, and they, uh, they started worshiping it, and God had to say, okay, enough of that. What, what's wrong with these people? And they had to, you know, king rose up, and he got rid of the thing. But the point, though, is that I always feel bad for Moses, and I do recognize that God undoubtedly at that right hand spoke, okay, Moses, you're getting ready to go into the land. You've got to start having these people recognize how to, how to partner with me to get the resources. Because very soon, I'm not going to be sending the manna anymore. Very soon, they're going to have to be in a land where they're going to have to know how to believe me to get the resources. So you've got to start now. So I want you to go and I want you to prophesy this directive that, and I think, I'm not adding to the Scripture, but I think it is, I want all the, the leaders of the tribes to come up and I want you to line up princes, nobles, your rods of authority, which, which identify who you are in these tribes, and I'm going to speak over you. I'm going to speak to this scenario, but you take that rod and you touch it to this and you watch what God will do. That's, I think, in light of what the Scripture says, what does it say? This is the beer, the supply, whereof the Lord spoke unto Moses. When did that happen? Well, it wasn't when the snakes were biting everybody. It was at that point, I believe, where we often just think, well, Moses, he didn't, I say to you, rock water, come forth. That's what we think it means. But I think that what was better was he was to speak to the rock, 
and have these people come up and do what's said right there. And, I, and I'm repeating this just so that it sinks in. Sometime between Moses being told he couldn't go into the land, sometime when they fought and they, they fought the Canaanites and they, they uh, bypassed another group of people and the snake, snakes biting them, at some point, and Aaron, Miriam dying and Aaron uh, being stripped of his garments and Eliezer, his son, being put in as the high priest. Somewhere in that period, they recognized enough to where they created a song talking about, this is what God told me about you getting water. And they figured it out. Somehow Moses told them this. And this is why you have it. But if you don't recognize that, you just read through 16 through 18, you think, well, that's kind of weird. That's kind of strange. What's that mean? Well, I think this gives us an indication. So where we are right now is we recognize where we are to a large degree in the timing of the Lord. We recognize that God is going to be opening up not only the places uh, that he has already given for the encampments of the saints, but many new places, many new uh, opportunities and we're going to have to go boots on the ground to many of them, but we're also expanding the, with the new equipment the ways that we're going to be reaching out and teaching. Uh, there are three or four different dimensions of how we're going to partner with the Lord, at least we know of now, to bring this into place. But the point of it is that God wants these individuals who are called by him in the various outposts of their inheritance in the world to know how to tap into the resources that God has placed in their measure of authority for him. And we, we have to be in that, that role right now uh, of lawgiver, that, that, that role that basically says, what, what's lawgiver means? Does that mean I'm going to tell you all what to do? Or does that really indicate where God gave to Moses the law? Does that indicate that commune with God at uh, the top of the mount where God says, this is what you tell the people. This is, this is, and God wanted them all up there to begin with, remember? He brought all these leaders, and God came down and met with them. Elohim came down and met with them. And uh, they said, uh, Moses, we don't want to go up with you to meet with God. You, you just go up, and you tell us what he says. It's good reading. It's there. God had always wanted these people to be before him. He still wants that. And that's what we're going to be in charged, uh, charged to do in this year that is, is coming. And so, this week, this last week of 2021, as I said, this weekend is going to be a time of prayer. We have the opportunity to come and do what God lays upon our individual hearts to do on New Year's Eve. And then if you find the time on Saturday morning, that's first Saturday, we're going to come in and pray. And then Sunday morning, we will do something. I'm not real clear exactly on how God wants to do it. He just said this needs to be a morning of prayer, whether we couple that with a morning of prophesying, uh, speaking into the new year, I, I don't know. But the weekend is going to be a weekend of prayer. But we begin it by communion. And we begin it by recognizing, Father, 
you you've given this to us and um, it's there's there's a time of culmination yeah that's another thing and, and my goodness Bev it's just three minutes till 12 can I keep preaching for just a little while is that all right she says okay so we'll just keep going uh, the past couple of days I've been I felt that the Lord asked me to look over many different types of visitations that have come in this nation particularly, and what they were, how they rose up, and how long they lasted, and what they affected uh, onto our national climate. And it's very interesting. You may want to do that. It's, it's a good study um, to see the, the different revivals that sprung up. And, and the progression of why this one happened here, why this one happened here, why this one happened here. It was really interesting. Before, um, this will interest less, there was a, some type of a financial crash that happened in 1857. But for like three years before that, they had what they called the businessman's revival. And they had churches that were open all through the week, and people in business would go and just pack churches praying and believe in God. Um, for, I, I guess, for, for prospering their business, but there had to be more than that for them to be coming and being before God. And, of course, uh, that was a tumultuous time in our nation's history. It was right before the Civil War, uh, it, it, and there, it was right before a financial downturn, but it was called the Businessman's Revival, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that were, were coming during the workday and going into churches and spending time praying. It's very strange. It's, it's very interesting to read about, like in 1904, the Welsh Revival and how that then spread across the waters here to our country um, in, in encampments of Welsh people. I think that President Trump, uh, some of his relatives were, were part of that visitation, and there was a study that was done about that, and it was brought forward. Um, but, but then how that then partnered with the Pentecostal outpouring. But all I guess why I'm saying that is that each one of those served their time, and then they were done. And whatever was imparted to that point, whether it was taken full advantage of or not, set the stage for what God was going to do next. And we've been at this for, you know, we talked about Toronto and Brownsville, and I know Toronto's still having meetings, but Brownsville impacted us they, they, mightily. God used that. And, um, but, but that's done. It's gone. There aren't any Browns. Most of the guys are either dead or they're, doing, they're real old, and they're not doing it anymore. Even, even the charismatic renewal. I remember when I was in my early years in high school when the Spirit was, was moving on lots of Catholic people and Duquesne University there in Pittsburgh. They would have these massive gatherings of people, and they'd come and, from all different denominations and start speaking in tongues. It was the weirdest thing. We as Assembly of God people thought, well, hey, this is weird. You know, they're not, we have all the gospel. How are they getting this, you know? And, but it was really strange to see. But that happened, and psh, that was gone. And I think what we need to recognize is 
How did God impact us? How has he prepared us? The, the various things that he's done, you know, you're not going to resurrect those things. Does it mean that you're failing God? Does it mean that, oh, I don't know, it's not like it used to be? Get a grip. Look at these major revivals that happened. None of them kept going with the way they had started. God did what he was going to do, and then hopefully there were people who were wise enough to say, why did he do this? What did he deposit? What is our responsibility with this? Now, for us, we, we've been given, and this is another reason why I believe that what we've been given is the best, because it's not a one-off. I mean, we were impacted, we have been impacted, and our message is alive. Our message is something that is being sown into nations, and everywhere it's being sown, people are not only being touched, but they're being trained to do exactly what we read here, to, to understand the authority of the Lord, to understand how to partner with God for who He is, to know Him, not just to be a recipient, not just to, wah, 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 I hate this, I want this, give me more, I have to have this but to know God and to be an agent of his glory. That message is setting the stage for the saints that we read about in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and, and in other places where there's reference. And so the reason we've been blessed is we've got the gift that keeps on giving. We can go into these places and the direction of the Lord and to see his spirit breathe into uh, these denominations and outposts and even new people who are hungry who doesn't have who don't have the the bondage of of the the way grandpa used to do it um, but i i believe that we we need to and I'll, I'll just be real honest i think i think we need to have a further discussion and looking even this church okay this this church um, there was a move of the Spirit with Charles Parham in Kansas, and um, he impacted uh, William Seymour, the, the Azusa Street, and out of that then came a lot of people who were being filled with the Spirit. This coupled then with the Welsh Revival and that influence. And then it was many Many, many years later, when the Assemblies of God kind of formed, which kind of follows the pattern, you know, to give us like 10 or 15 years to just make sure that what's going on is okay, and then we'll come along on side. I, I, I won't digress on that one. However, there were, there were a lot of guys that were taking the, the, the message of the Spirit and a healing ministry and going out. One of them was a guy named F.F. F. Bosworth, who did a lot of revival meetings here in Dallas. In fact, he established some churches here in Dallas. And this one, Lakewood Assembly, which used to be called by another name, was one of those Bosworth churches. And I remember when I first came here, there were some old-timers that were still here who had made the move from over by Fair Park, where this church originated, and remembered those early days of 
the the twofold thing of being filled with the Spirit, being healed by Brother Bosworth. Now Bosworth split off from the assemblies after this church, not because of this church, but after this church was formed, um, and he he had some problems with, uh, and I won't say what they were. I kind of agree with him. Um, but he split off and started other ministries. He traveled around with William Branham, and he did a lot of other things. But this church came out of, if you extrapolate, the, the pure line of, 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 of several different visitations of God. And, but you have to recognize that those come, they do their work, but the key point is to partner with that, but then recognize why did God do this and what has he equipped us to do because of it? And so, you know, I have to admit, you know, we've walked through this together. I remember a lot of things God's done in this house, and it's not like he stopped doing things. I mean, we're functioning, we're seeing God do miracles now. It's not like it was in those early days. Those early days were infantile. They were necessary. But as we said, I don't know how many times I've Monica, Monica said before I knew anything. And none of us really knew what was going on. Now we've been taught. Now we've been given the rod. You find God. You seek him. You serve him before the throne. You minister in the temple of the tabernacle, which in those early days none of us knew anything about, even though God was patterning them and preparing us for it. So why did he give us, this was not just a, a healing visitation, as wonderful as that is. This is not just people speaking in other tongues, as wonderful as that is. This is not just businessmen coming together and praying for God to touch. Uh, and, and you look back, it was before a great crash. It was in great schism in our country. The civil war was about to happen. You can look back and you say, this is what God had those men praying about. Maybe their prayers saved this union. Maybe those prayers saved what this country was called to be. Maybe those prayers uh, freed thousands upon thousands of people and their generations from bondage. And I believe that's what happened. But my point, though, is that God has given us a great deal of responsibility. And the best is that we've been giving something that we've been given something that is to make disciples and raise up sons and call people to be saints and to show them how to take the stave in their hand, be in the line of authority, and to unlock through the power of Christ the histeme deposits of his glory. That's amazing. That's not as great as it is, a visitation that touches people for just a couple of years. This is mobilizing the army of the Lord for the end time and putting his weapons in, in their hands so that they can stand on behalf of the kingdom. And so as we look into this new year, I look and I say, Father, whew, I look back I, I, I look back over various places where God's called us to invest heavily. And, you know, I was praying for India the other day, and I thought, Lord, help those brothers and sisters. Help those people that I we were on our face praying with. Help those people that have received these lessons to stand and to thrive where their very lives 
are at risk. Help them. And this message is, as God was leading the people into their land of promise, into their parcels of land where they were being given divine responsibility to serve God, which is what we're talking now on a global frame. What, did, what was God wanting Moses to prepare the people for as they went into the land of promise? This. What are we supposed to be preparing the people for in their land of promise? This. You've got to know the Lord. I mean know Him. Not just know about Him, but know Him. You've got to spend time before Him. You've got to stay in alignment with what He's saying. You've got to teach the authority structure from the princes to the nobles and on down to do obediently what God said, to, to speak what He says, to take their, their rod of authority and obedience and labor to see that thing prophetically come about. Because that's what they need in order to represent the kingdom in the place where God has called them. All of those factors, knowing God, hearing His voice, applying what He's taught from His Word, um, taking the authority that He's given, be careful with it, to do what He says to do with it, and only what He says to do with it, to do the work of the ministry, and then to see springing up those resources, to see springing up for the glory of the Lord what God has ordained. Because again, Moses was not going to be with him. Even if he'd gone into the land, at some point, he's got he's to go. I mean, it's appointed to every person once to die, and after that, their eternal uh, calling. So God wanted these people to be a nation of, of sons. And that's what God wants now. And so we are um, we're facing this new year, positioning ourselves in this year, a, a year of great favor, a year where God is going to be adding to us incredible groups of people, skilled people that we've not met yet, but God has ordained them. It's the morning for them. God is going to be expanding the horizon of, uh, of the capabilities so that we can serve him more effectively. We need, we need all this, but it's his work. It's not ours. We're not building a kingdom. I mean, what we're sowing into is an eternal thing, and you know this. We don't, we don't get anything, uh, you know, in our portfolio to say, okay, we went into this continent. Look, look at this big, look, wow. Everybody will look at this place and say, woo, look at them. Wow, wow. I mean, no, it's for them to function before our Father. That's our goal. And, and so I love this. I'm grateful that the Lord shared this. I, again, I, I thought it was kind of a weird message for uh, Christmas weekend, but I do believe that it's what God says for us as we enter into the new year. And it does explain, at least to my heart, what happened up there when God was Really, I won't say he was angry. That makes some people uncomfortable. Let's just say he didn't like with he didn't like at all what Moses did, and he punished him because Moses didn't do what he was supposed to do. This 
was what Moses was supposed to do. And I'm, I, I thank God because this is what we're supposed to do. Help us to do it, Lord. Amen? Well, I know Bev wants me to continue, but I'm going to stop. Um, 13 after 12. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to partner with this congregation. And as we come before your table of communion today, I am very grateful that every person that partakes of this bread and of this juice uh, are, are really functioning as sons and daughters. And I pray that as we partake today, and we take this bread in our hand, that we will recognize that you have called us to fulfill a role in the body of Christ to minister to the body of Christ. And, and I pray that as we partake of this, that you will equip us to a greater degree. Give us commune with you to understand what our role and responsibility is. And that we would also bless those places that are indicated by this representation of the body. As we partake of the cup, help us to gain a, a, a fresh appreciation of our assignment and that we would accept it gladly. Help us, Father, to receive the sprinkling of your blood upon this house and upon the calling of the saints and upon who we are, that that precious blood would touch, cleanse, activate, that it would prepare the way for your glory. And we need these, these wonderful things. And we receive them. And if there's anything that we're struggling with, if there's anything that would try to rise up and cause us to, um, to miss the mark, we apply that understanding of the bitter sop and ask you to cleanse us of those areas that could rise up and give us problems. So, Father, bless your people as we partake today. Thank you for this wonderful weekend. And we, we look forward to going into the new year with you. Guide us and bless this people. Bless our saints' family. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.